Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat. When your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, everyone. Are you scared of clowns? I'm not. I think clowns are pretty fun and awesome. But a lot of people are scared of clowns. So we explain why, because there is a reason. And we talk about all things clowns in this episode from April 21st, 2015. And it's called How Clowns Work. (laughs) Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm JoJo. There's Chuckles. This is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. And there's Jerry. She has a regular name. Hey, hey! Well, that was pretty good. Thanks. That could have also. This could also be like how late night talk show hosts work, too. <laughs> yeah. Krusty the Clown was on my mind during a lot of this. I thought that was your Seth Meyers. No. Funny guy. <laughs> Did he say that? No. Oh. It was just a completely ludicrous joke. I haven't watched this show yet. I haven't either. I like the guy, though. Good guy. I don't watch anything but Conan. Yeah, I don't even watch Conan, really. Yeah. I do when Hodgman's on. I record it, you know, and then watch it the next day. Yeah. I don't stay up till whatever time I was going to say, geez. <laughs> I guess you don't go to Early Bird for dinner anymore either. Yeah. Staying and, up to watch Conan. Hey, uh, Early Bird. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Conan, big shout out to uh, Brian Kiley, Rob Kuttner, and Dan Cronin. And Seth Myers. <laughs> no. They are writers for Conan, and they treated me to uh, lunch. That was very nice. At uh, Warner Brothers. Thanks for inviting me, guys. <laughs> And uh, Conan, if you think we get neat fan gifts, you ought to see the stuff Conan gets. Oh, man, like what? Well, there was, well, I met the masturbating bear guy, <laughs> who I won't reveal his name. <laughs> you probably shouldn't. But he's the guy that's done it all these years. And someone sent him like a four foot tall tree trunk hand carved uh, bear. Mm-hmm. M bear. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was beautiful. I got pictures of all this. And then Conan <laughs> has a life size Lego Conan. That someone sent him. That's pretty neat. And a life size. That's like $100,000 worth of Legos probably. probably. is. And then a life size Conan made of pencils that was really neat looking. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they just had this stuff. And I was like, man, I, don't, I mean, I like our little Photoshop stuff, but, <laughs> you know. Cooper needs to step it up. Nice life size Lego Josh and Chuck. That <laughs> would be kind of cool. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say thanks to those guys. They're awesome. Yes. And they're supporters of us. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Supporters of you, at least. And they're clowns. That was a great segue, dude. <laughs> great. Is that why you thank them in this episode? Sure. Because <laughs> they're clowns. That uh, that was good. You f- scared of clowns? 
I'm not scared of clowns. Not at all. I mean, the scary clowns that are supposed to be scary in horror movies are creepy, of course. Right. But like, I don't have any kind of a, a phobia. What's it called? The official phobia? Calorophobia. Right, which also includes... Um, it's unofficial, by the way. It's oh, it's not is. a real thing. Um, it also includes things like uh, costumed characters like Mickey Mouse and um, stuff like that. It's not just clowns, right? Right. So it's uh, the DSM, which is the infallible Bible of <laughs> psychology and psychiatry, uh-huh. um, has a, an entry for fear of clowns lumped together with other... Childhood fear of costume characters. Right. That one I can I can identify with. I think I ran away from like Snow White or something at Disney World when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. there's just always been something about somebody being dressed up in costume that I've found unnerving. I'm they not, scare a lot of kids. It's, I'm not overtly know. afraid of clowns. Sure. But just costume people. And I get that. Like I I get like, you know, what are you hiding kind of thing, which I think is informs the basis of colorophobia. Yeah, and a lot of this show, it, it turns out, is going to be about that because it's one of the most interesting parts of clowning. But um, one guy later on in this article put it, it makes sense, is like some clowns are just not great at it. And, you know, well, like, yeah, like lunge at a kid or right. something. And he says they seem like they're on the attack. Yeah. And uh, he said a big part of teaching clowning is to teach personal space yeah. and like how to not come at a kid because they think you look weird. And well, strange, yeah. and if you come at them like too fast, then it's it might scare them. And, and especially these days too, like clowns today are still following a tradition from the early to mid twentieth century. Yeah, kids today aren't really hip with the mid twentieth century. Right, they're not into like mid century modern like art or design or anything like that. Yeah, and so clowns are about as creepy to them as like an old wooden toy. Right, right. It's just off a little. It's sure. an uncanny experience. They don't get it. And as a result, there's this 2008 um, study out of the UK that the BBC reported on that found that most of the children in the study, I think there was like 250 population sample, um, feared and or disliked clowns. Yeah. Most of the kids in the study. That's a lot of sad clowns. Yeah, and a lot of scared kids. So I think the point is to just keep clowns and kids away from one another. (laughs) All right. You ready to go back in time? Yes. Hop in the old Wayback Machine. (laughs) It's London, and it's 1803. And there's a man named Joseph Grimaldi. And he, for all intents and purposes, has just invented the modern, what we now think know as the clown. Yeah. Very purposefully, too. Got the white makeup. They still call clowns Joey's. Yeah. Because that was his character name. That's a nickname for clowns. Oh, he was huge. Like not Big only star. did he invent clowns and like today still they they, you know, tip their clown hat at Grimaldi for inventing the clown. Uh, he um uh, in his day he uh-huh. was huge. Yeah. There was a legend that supposedly an eighth of the population of London had seen him on stage. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Yeah. And <clears throat> still today on London's East End, there um, is a church that has an annual mass in his honor, and everyone comes in full clown makeup and costume to nice. church for Grimaldi. He was a big deal. Sure. He was very, very famous for the time. He was a very well-known person. Uh, and he had a contemporary, too, at about the same time in uh, France named Debreu. Yeah. And both of them, oddly, were... Um, 
they had really kind of sad backstories. Yeah, which uh, we'll get to that. That sort of lends itself. Oh, I, I to, don't mean to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> that lends itself to the dark underbelly of clowning, and why it might have this reputation. Right. But uh, what clowning really sprung from was uh, from the beginning of time. Almost there were uh, jesters, essentially. Oh yeah. Um, At and least all types of all all over the world and all cultures. Yeah, it seems to be universal. Um, there were. At least as far back as the like thirty five hundred BC, yeah. Um, in Egypt, in China, there were already jesters, uh, pranksters, clowns, tricksters, something of of that ilk. Mischief makers. Yeah, and yeah. in in totally disparate societies that never met one another, like um, in Native America, uh, different Native American societies had some version of the clown or the jester. Yeah, during a natu- uh, Navajo ritual chants, they would. Uh, clowns would come in to disrupt performances, uh, bump into the dancers, uh, Pueblo clowns. They would have a sacred offering and they would come bouncing in and, and kind of mock what was going on and maybe like do a lewd sex act. Right. In the know, middle of like one. this very serious <laughs> ceremony to the gods. Yeah. Or the spirits. It's a, that's a big deal. Sure. That's a, an, an unusual role for someone to play. Sometimes they were considered shamans, like they sure. were imbued with some sort of power as well. Yeah, they were they, they were held in high esteem. Uh, same thing went on in Japan with the uh, taikomochi. Is yeah, that right? It means drum bearer. Drum bearer. Uh, they were in the red light districts, and apparently, uh, in the late 1600s, their deal was when the when the party s- starts to wane. They were to bounce in and, like, get the party started again. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were actually the original geisha. They they were men, and they were later replaced by women, but the taikomochi were the original versions of the geisha. Yeah. And the taikomochi in the red light district actually ended up there because this period of peace settled over Japan. Because prior to that, they were court jesters and also, like, military advisors. Yeah. So once they weren't needed for that, they ended up in the red light district, like— Let's get this party Getting started. Getting party started, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So in India, the the official jesters there were a member of the Brahmin, which was the highest social class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's where a, a, that's the class that Apu's a member of. Oh, really? Did he say that? That's what his mom said when he thinks or she thinks that Apu's married to Marge. <laughs> she goes, surely you children are aware of your Brahmin heritage. <laughs> and Bart goes, so long as there's no follow-up questions, absolutely. <laughs> Fully. Man, that's a good one. Your knowledge is way deeper than I mine get, for I The Simpsons. Too much. I think I stopped watching uh, before you did too. But you still watch, right? Yeah, I fell off again. Yeah. Yeah. On again, off again. Um, all right. So we're in India and the Brahmin. They uh one of the things you'll notice over and over here with jesters is what they really are are satirists. And their job is to and they were the only ones that could do this really, was to poke fun at the leaders they would they would never bounce in and talk about how great the king is they would bounce in and talk about how fat the king is right and make jokes about like how many meals have you had today well yeah and so their 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 role was to say um poke holes into the the king's stupid ideas whereas the rest of the court would be like oh great idea um you should paint the great wall of china right Whereas the gesture would be like yeah that's a great idea where are you gonna get all that paint from you dummy <laughs> Well, speaking of China, I think they had some of the best names. Um, they have a great tradition of clowning. And yeah. They had legends named Twisty Pole, uh, Baldi Chunyu. 
That's the name of the podcast. That's a good one. And this one I don't get. Moving Bucket. I don't get that one either. It probably makes sense in Chinese. Right. Another one I came across was Newly Polished Mirror. Really? Uh -huh. Was the name of a clown? That's no Bali <laughs> Chunyu, though. Interesting. Chunyu. Uh, and then in Poland, um, mm. there was a legendary jester named Stanzik. And I looked up this guy. He was he was a legend beyond clowning. He was like the political satirist of his day. Uh, he worked for three different kings and was very intelligent uh, political philosopher and satirist that uh, is still like revered in Poland. Right. As, you know, a necessary thing. Yeah, supposedly one of his most famous stories was um, the king of Poland that he was working for. Uh, had a bear imported from, I think, Russia or something, maybe Prussia. Yeah. And um, let it loose so he could hunt it. Right. And the bear came Very at the king and the court and the queen and, like, almost killed everybody. And um, the king later criticized Stanchik for running off. Yeah. And Stanchik said, well, it was smarter than letting a caged bear loose. Something along those lines. Yeah. And the king was like, oh, touche. And everyone laughed. Yeah. And then the bear ate the king uh in ancient rome chuckers yeah they used to call the court jesters stupidus stupidus huh yeah that makes sense uh grimaldi himself came out of the uh rich tradition in italy um called the commedia dell'art tradition and uh this is in the 14th century and it was some people say these were like the first professional actors in the world yeah uh were coming out of italy at the time in this program right so at the time you were basically, if you were a clown or a jester or something, you were probably a member of a court. Mm -hmm. If you're a, a member of a Native American tribe or um, in most parts of Africa and you were a jester, you belonged to the community right. rather than the specific leader. Um, but in Europe and China and Egypt and all over, wherever there was royalty, there was usually a jester of some sort, right? Yeah. But... Uh, one of the ways that jesters spread, especially, say, in Europe, was from um, a jester being forced to hit the road for s stepping over the line, oh, basically, really? at court and getting kicked out. Wow. And that's one way that it kind of spread clowning, originally spread to the masses, was you may run across a court jester who's down on his luck traveling along the road because he just right. got kicked out of court. He's like, I got all this great material. Exactly. But he's still a jester. He's <laughs> yeah. going to make you laugh, you know? Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. So the, it's interesting. I think the kings tolerate it to a certain degree, but if they're having a bad day, they're just like, all right, you're out of here. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's um, at least some debate over whether how uh, how much of the idea that a jester was the only one who could speak his mind mm -hmm. toward the king. Um, not that the idea was that more people in the court could speak their mind— but that the jester couldn't even speak their mind in some cases. Right. There were some documented versions, like um, the one in uh, Persia, Karim Shire, Yeah. who um, told the king, his the uh, Shah Nazaruddin, apparently said, is there a short of, shortage of food? And uh, Karim Shire said, yes, I see that your majesty is eating only five times a day. <laughs> yeah. And then he made this little bow tie spin. <laughs> but he got the point across that, uh -huh. yeah, there's a shortage of food and you're not helping anything. You're cloistered up here in your ivory tower and um, you need to open up your eyes, your majesty. I'd like to see some of uh, Baldi Chunyu's material. I would love to see that too. I bet he killed. I'll bet he did as well, Chuck. So uh, we'll get to what clowning is specifically right after this. 
hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa, but how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, clowning, my friend, is a lot of things, but what it is in all cases is exaggeration. Yeah. Um, movements are exaggerated. Your appearance is exaggerated. That's why they wear big, goofy suits and big, goofy shoes. The makeup, too. Makeup, of course. A lot of people look at a clown and say, you're disguising something. The point of clown makeup is quite the opposite. It's meant to exaggerate the emotions that are already there. Yeah, like the big, huge smile right. or frown. There's a big frown, yeah. Um, and I've read one pro-clown's um, description of what clowning means. Uh-huh. And he said, clowns aren't actors. We're not supposed to pretend. Uh, what clowns do is exaggerate the, the emotions that we already have inside. So if you're a really good clown, you're going to play up you know, the the um, anger at being rebuffed when you're trying to get a laugh from somebody. Right. Or you're going to play up your stage fright at performing in front of some people. Sure. Like when you see a clown like acting a certain way, you're you're supposed to understand that what they're they're actually feeling that right then. It's just yeah. being it's it's being broadcast on a clown scale. Yeah, and part of that is for comedic effect, and part of it is uh, quite literally because in a circus, uh, you have a lot of people, and you may, may be sitting very far away from you. Right. So these big movements and the slapstick, um, which actually I never knew this slapstick uh-huh. was an actual physical tool. Never heard of that. Yeah. It was. A, it's like a. It looks like a paddle with another paddle hinged to it. Right. And back in the old days of the uh, Commedia dell'arte in Italy, they would um, strike someone with this paddle. And then, of course, the other paddle on the hinge would smack really hard on the on the wood. Yeah. And so they could hit someone not too hard, but make a sound. Huge sound. Like they had been hit really hard, and that's where slapstick comes from. That's the word slapstick. Pretty neat. And um, we keep mentioning Commedia dell'arte. Um, that's where Grimaldi came out of. Yeah. And this was the original place where the clown really first made it onto stage. Because remember, when Commedia dell'arte was establishing itself, for the most part, clowns were relegated to court gestureship, right? Yeah, and then mimes later yeah. were relegated to parks, I guess. So, right, <laughs> City exactly. Parks. Um, so, Commedia dell'art was this um, this play or production, and in the middle of it, or in different points, um, there'd be like a break or an intermission or something like that, and out would come like the jugglers and the baton twirlers, yeah. and there were also little skits and sketches and plays themselves that were intended for comic relief. And one of those is called the Harlequinade. And Harlequin, you recognize Harlequin as one of the jokers, the jesters, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, there's actually a character in the Harlequinade that was a clown. And Grimaldi originally played that character. And that character was um, kind of a bumpkin, a rustic rube. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the word clown supposedly comes from a 16th century German word for like a country bumpkin. Yeah. Um, so that was the original character. Well, Grimaldi came along in about 1800 and started playing this in the pantomime. Right. Which was that break in the Commedia dell'arte. For comic relief. Exactly. Yeah. And then the Harlequinade was a uh, a little mini play that was a pantomime in the Commedia dell'arte. Right? right. Yeah. And then the clown was a character in the Harlequinade and Grimaldi played it. But he said, you know what? I'm not feeling this country bumpkin thing. I think this guy's actually highly sophisticated, right. very smart, hilarious, and bawdy. 
And he started to play the character like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the clown went from a minor supporting character to the reason the people were coming to the Commedia dell'arte pr- productions, the pantomime. Yeah. So they were stealing the thunder of the legit actors. Exactly. Yeah. And from that moment, the clown went from specifically a rustic country boob to the clown <laughs> that we start to understand today with face pain and like colored hair and yeah. everything. Did you just laugh because I said boob? No, I just rustic country boob sounded like the name of like my memoir or something. <laughs> <laughs> it just struck me as a nice title. That, it's, <laughs> I just want a small, small royalty when you publish those, okay? Well, except I would be rustic city boob. Yeah. You know, sort of play on uh, that whole thing. Yeah, that'd be that's even better, rustic actually. Rustic city boob. Yeah. Man, Sharknado, <laughs> and now the title for your memoirs. You're on fire. Um. So clowning, uh, one thing that you'll also notice uh, that clowns do a lot, and there's not every clown, but a lot of clowning involves um, play violence. Like slapstick. Yeah, like they're hitting, it's like the Three Stooges. They're hitting each other a lot. They're knocking each other down. Mm-hmm. Um, a big clown uh, thing to do is to like disrupt <laughs> the 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 legit act. Like we're clowns and we're going to do... Uh, this neat thing where we all hold this ladder and climb it. Right. And then another clown will come in and bust the ladder down and everyone will fall. Right. And it's all part of the act. But a lot like of it is... Like the Navajo clowns. Yeah, same thing, yeah. basically, to disrupt the, the act that's that's happening through violence. Or they may just be jerks and like smell my flower. Oops, you get a squirt in the face. So if you're paying attention to uh, a group of clowns in their routine, you'll actually notice that... Um, there's usually a very clear line of command. Yeah, there's a hierarchy for sure. There actually is. And yeah. It depends on, you can tell who's in charge before the show even starts based on their makeup, actually. It's it's um, delineated by that. Yeah. So first you've got the white-faced clown, which Grimaldi was one. So is Bozo the clown, who we'll talk about later. Um, but the white-faced clown is the one who's in charge. And going back to the Three Stooges, they actually... Um, get across the hierarchy of clowns pretty clearly. Yeah. So the white-faced clown is Mo. Absolutely. He's still a clown, mm-hmm. um, but he's bossing the other ones around. He's right. assigning jobs. He's the head boob. Yeah, and he might be the the most um, hostile out yeah. of all of them. And then after that, and again, the white-faced clown has completely white paint all over his face and head and neck. Yeah, the French, hers, uh, say. French counterpart you're talking about, the clown that he created was a white-faced clown, um, the Perrault. P-I-E-R-R-O-T, Pierrot? Sounds good, Chuck. And that's a kind of clown as well, but uh, the Pierrot is a a white-faced clown. Right. So the white-faced clown is in charge. He or she is at the top of the heap. Top of the heap. After that, you have the august clown. The august clown is the one that um, usually they have uh, that sloppy, oversized um, outfit uh, huge like suspenders hanging on, hanging uh, even bigger pants up. Um, the makeup's probably like flesh toned. Yeah, but like the eyes will like be super arched sure. and like the smile will be really big and red. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably a big red nose. Although I think the um, the white face clown can have that too. But if you have a white face and an august clown next to each other, the august clown's red ball nose is probably going to be a little bit bigger. And the august clown is. Um, Definitely the one who takes orders from the white-faced clown, but um, also a little more um, hilarious, maybe. Right. So, like, the the, the august clown would be um, maybe Larry. Larry? 
Probably curly though, because you get he's kind of a boob, you know. Yeah, he's a, not a rustic country boob. Yeah, but he's just you know, kind of fun and lovable, and a, and he's still taking orders. What about Shemp? Shemp completely <laughs> breaks this whole analogy apart. Yeah. So with the Augusta clown, it was um, invented uh, by a man named uh, Lou Jacobs, mm-hmm. and there was uh, there was a team uh, Albert uh, Fratellini and Lou Jacobs, a clown team. And Fratellini was also part of the Fratellini brothers, and he was the one who invented the red nose. Oh, yeah? Which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But then uh, then we have the tramp or the hobo, right? That's the next kind. Yeah, and that one was invented by a dude named Emmett Kelly, and he actually invented the sad hobo clown, which you can immediately bring to mind, I would imagine, just sure. from hearing sad hobo clown. the downcast frown face yep. the stubble like five o'clock shadow yeah the tattered uh tweed jacket right with patches and yep. the uh the bindle yeah bindle bag on the stick so emmett kelly comes up with the uh sad hobo clown and, and that's become a fixture of clowning and that tramp hobo or bag lady clown is the one that's the lowest rung on the ladder yep. but the highest on the totem pole yeah <laughs> It kind of occurred to me when I was reading this that they're sort of, uh, I mean, are they making fun of the homeless? You know, in a way, I think that's probably a sticky thing that clowns don't like to address, but <laughs> yeah. very, very much so. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly what they're they're aping is, you know, my clothes are tattered, I don't have a place to lay my head, mm-hmm. and I'm a sad hobo. And you have to understand, like Emmett Kelly came up with this in the 30s or 40s, maybe, sure. at a time when. It was okay to make fun yeah. of people who were right. down on their luck like that. I don't know why, but yes, and I, I thought the same thing too. I was like, wow, this is like making a clown version of homeless people. Yeah, I think what they would say, my guess is that they would say there you should have a lot of sympathy for the hobo clown. Oh yeah. And you're we're trying to elicit sympathy, not necessarily laughs at my expense. Yeah. Even though they do that. But they're <laughs> the ones who are like, um, sweeping the mess that the other ones made up when the spotlight yeah. goes out That's crying so on the inside right. and outside too sweep sweeping the circus tent those are the three big ones there's also a character clown which is makes up a fourth class of clown uh rodeo clowns fall into that although they're technically more like the working clown they're like a sheepdog clown yeah um but a character clown would be like a keystone cop right or an astronaut clown. Basically, sure. if you can come up with a profession that uses a costume and then make a clown version of it, that's a character clown. Yeah. So those are the, the Or main... doctor clown. Oh, yeah. What was that video? Uh, hospital clowning on Found Footage Festival. Yeah, this video Josh found is a, uh, a guy that made a series of clown instructional videos, a medical clown, yeah. at which they do valuable, uh, valuable service. Yeah. By going to children's hospitals and things and Scaring the making pants off kids feel better. But this guy did so, some instructional videos on how to do this and what to do and what not to do. What not to do is very yes. important. Like things very like don't, funny. don't touch a, a covered part <laughs> because you never know if they've just had their leg amputated was one piece of advice. Oh, it's so funny. Um, yeah. So go actually if you go if you're listening to this on our website uh-huh. on that the podcast page for this episode, it should be in the links. Yeah, we'll definitely put that in there. If not, and you don't feel like going to our website, just look up Hospital Clowning Found Footage Festival and it will come up. It's wonderful. It is it is delightful. We we talked about it on our uh internet roundup yep. video show as well. We did. So the big question here is why is this funny? Why do we need this? Why do people indulge clowns? 
Yeah. Um, or not indulge. Why do they like clowns? That's a better way to put it. Why do we let clowns get away with making fun of the homeless? Um, I think a good reason that is pointed out in the article on how stuff works is that um, we have a very rigid, complex society that we live in, and there are rules, and there is a social order, and uh, you know we have to maintain our good behavior. And so clowning is a, a safety valve, um, is how this author put it, to you know, we can live vicariously through the clown who breaks down those social norms and says, I'll do whatever I want. I'll make fun of the king Mm -hmm. or I'll, you know, squirt this little kid in the face with water. (laughs) Everybody hates that kid. And, um, you know, sense. the the French clown, he beat a kid to death with his cane in the street for making fun of him. That's taking it too far. Well, he did. And he, I looked this up, he went to trial and was acquitted, but, Mm -hmm. um, apparently it was like the trial of the century because everyone wanted to hear him speak. Oh, uh, he was a silent clown. He was huh? a silent clown. Um, the Perot was. So, yeah, he, he hit a kid that was making fun of him, and he killed him. Yeah. He didn't mean to. He meant to hit him. <laughs> he I didn't don't think mean he meant to, to kill, kill him. him. It said it was a single blow. Yeah. And uh, I imagine he was just like, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> not again. Yeah, or he would mime whatever that is. So I want to address what you said the role of clowns are. And this is going to be like the most sourpuss thing you've heard today. Okay. But it really makes sense in a way. So, yes, the role of the clown is to vent the general population's frustrations at abuse heaped on us by the ruling class or the conventions of society or what have you. And the clown allows us to to feel better about things because this is being made fun of. It's being addressed. Mm -hmm. But you can also make the case that in that sense, the clown— satire, anything that provides that function in society actually just keeps the status quo in place. Because rather than any real change coming about from those simmering frustrations that aren't allowed to vent. Yeah, it's just a release. That once they're released, then we can just move along, but nothing's actually really changed. It's just been satirized, and so we're satisfied to a certain degree. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I know, it's a really like kind of view of clowns in general, but it it really does keep the status quo in place. And a really effective ruler will allow him or herself to have just enough fun poked at so that um, he or she appears to have been brought down a peg. Right. But really, the power is totally unchecked by that. Yeah, interesting. We should do one on satire. That's a pretty rich subject. It is. I think the function of a satirist is... um, important but um you do raise a good point like at the end of the day what does change come about because of it or is it just well at least we all got to laugh right at this which, ser- which serves a function it does serve a function but, but does it, it serve it to serves, change it serves to placate yeah interesting thanks man that Very is that's all mine <laughs> josh Wright, copyright 2015 so we should probably take a break um and then we'll come back and talk a little more about you guessed it clowns Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. 
I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. And by the way, yeah, if you have heard uh, some weird sounds in the background of this one, it's because some jerk in this building is using a drill. You are not insane. And they're not supposed to be doing that right now. But um, it's hopefully it's not too distracting. It's sort of here and there. Just wanted to mention that. Yeah, you're not hearing the hum. So careers and clowning, my friend. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, hospital clowning. That's definitely a way to go. Sure. The University of Haifa in Israel has, a, I think, a bachelor's degree yeah. in medical clowning. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You're, you learn to go into hospitals and raise the spirits, usually of kids, but I think it applies to just about anybody in a hospital who wants to have their spirits picked up and react well to clowns. Yeah, Bam. I think kids mainly. Medical clown. Like I know, I'd be <laughs> like, get out of my hospital room. Yeah, an adult that's going in for like a bypass surgery, I don't yeah. think wants a clown in the room. No. That's that, just my opinion. That just makes a clown want to try harder. <laughs> that's true. Just no bad touch. Don't touch right? any covered parts. <laughs> so um, membership is waning these days in the World Clown Association. Um, they don't keep exact stats, but they um, anecdotally say that it's dropped by about a third uh, in recent years. Um but like I said, you can be a pro clown. You can go to Ringling Brothers as a clown college yeah. in Sarasota. Dude, it is brutal as far as competition goes. What, to get in? Yeah. I'm sure. So in 2013, they had 531 applicants from around the world. And they let in two clowns. They selected 14, 14 to wow. come to camp. They hired 11. Yeah. That's pretty pretty yeah. competitive. Um and there's only 26 total clowns that work for all of Ringland Brothers, Barnum & Bailey. Really? They um, shuffle them around the three circuses that are going on at any given point in time. Interesting. But it pays pretty well. They inject them with formaldehyde and put them in a cryogenic <laughs> chamber. And You'll never die. Ship them to a different part of the country. Yeah. Regenerate them. Put on their red nose. Yeah. And it's all good. It's showtime. <laughs> uh, Cirque du Soleil, you can do a lot worse than that, my friend, if you want to go that route. It's a different kind of clowning. But uh, it's, I think, a little more of the old uh, Italian and European style. It depends. They go for both. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they go for, a... uh, f- like, a character comedy. Uh-huh. And then I think, like, physical slapstick Just straight up too. yucks? Yeah. Okay. But you can make up to 200 k a year at Cirque du Soleil. I think that's, like, For all performers. Out. Yeah. Yeah. At Ringling Brothers, apparently for clowns, they can make up to 92 k a year. K means a thousand. That's right. And by that I mean dollars. Uh, if you're into French clowning, you can go to Paris and study at the uh, Ecole Internationale de Théâtre Jacques Lecoq. Jacques Lecoq. Theater Jacques Lecoq. <laughs> Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> yeah. You sure it's not Lecoq? No, it's definitely Lecoq. Okay. So he. Uh, Don't Jacques... you remember Lecoq Sportif, like um, tennis wear from the 80s? I called it Lecoq. No, it's Lecoq. Okay. <laughs> I mean, either that or I've been saying things wrong for 30 years, which is entirely possible, but I'm Lecoq almost positive. Because think about it. He's a clown. Jacques Lecoq. I mean, it's very funny. I know. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's way funnier <laughs> than Jacques Lecoq. So if it is Jacques Lecoq, this guy should have thought his name out a little better. That's a good point. So Jacques Lecoq was a uh, big innovator in clowning, and he had a school um, that this is still based on, you know, in Paris, but he had a school back in the day where his big thing was... Um, uh, called the Via uh, Negativia, or ne- Negativa, which Activia. is basically <laughs> basically like he doesn't say what you're doing is right or wrong. Um, he's he's not there to teach you a set of skills. He's to teach you to do what you do best right? and, and that, to embrace your own style. Right. It's pretty neat. I found that just about anywhere um, I saw like how to clown or anything like that during research, one of the main things was figure out your style of clown and it's based on who you are, and then just figure out how to bring that out as big as possible. Right. But that it was all about you and, and figuring out your own jam. Um, they also suggest that you should probably have at least one talent, 
like stilt walking, sure. juggling, both balloon animals is a big one too. Like Unicycling. Sure. Something like that. Water squirting. But they pointed out that you should be able to be funny with no props whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And then you start incorporating props. Well, it's probably good to practice them along the way. Give up that rubber chicken, though. Right. And really work on Just your craft. Just put it in the drawer for a little while <laughs> right. and, and be funny without the rubber chicken. Then when you add the rubber chicken, oh, boy. you're really going to be funny, right? Yeah. Um, but that, that all is based on, remember, clowns are exaggerations of a human personality and specifically that person's personality. And so that's what you're supposed to work on initially. I like that. Yeah. Makes Very, a lot of sense. Sure. So um, I think, are we now at, at, uh, at the... the Cholrophobia? Yeah, I think so. Why do people hate clowns? Why are people afraid of clowns? So initially, we talked about Grimaldi and Debro having pretty grim backstories. Yeah. And like everybody knew it at the time. Everyone went to Debro's um, trial. Uh, Grimaldi apparently used to crack that he was grim all day, but he made you, he delighted you at night. Right? Yeah, play on his name. Right. So everyone knew that he had this depressing life. His son was an alcoholic clown who died of drink at 31. Yeah, his father was a a stage father, a tyrant, supposedly. His first wife died during childbirth. Um, Grimaldi uh, was in bad physical shape from all the slapstick that he performed over the years. And everyone knew this. Yeah. And yet he was a clown. And no one thought, oh, that's kind of weird for a clown or very ironic for a clown to have a terrible life. In part because Grimaldi invented the modern clown. Yeah. So that was the conception of the modern clown for a very long time. It wasn't until the early 20th century that clowns were taken away from this idea that they were adults pranksters, um, kind of body humor, and placed squarely in the realm of little kids. And they were expected to be happy all the time and kind of these fantastic creatures that cannot possibly ever really be that way. So automatically, clowns were set up to be something kind of creepy because they were held to these really high standards that they could never meet. And for a little while, it worked. Like Bozo the Clown was huge. There was apparently, so Bozo the Clown on TV was a franchise, right? So if you were a local TV station, you could have your own Bozo the Clown and put on your own Bozo the Clown show. But at the main one at WGN in Chicago, the waiting list for tickets to the studio audience was 10 years long. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, Willard Scott played Bozo. And Willard Scott went on to become Ronald McDonald from playing Bozo. And the Ronald McDonald was inspired by Bozo because McDonald sponsored the Bozo show. And they saw how crazy popular this clown was with the kids. So they made their own clown, Ronald McDonald, so that they could better market to kids. Exactly. And it worked. It did. But then eventually... I think there was always this idea that this is a little weird. This is creepy. Like, nobody can be that happy. What are you, you know, what's going on there? Well, Charles Dickens wrote um, the memoir. He edited the memoir of uh, Grimaldi when he died. And he basically laid it all out there uh, about what a ghastly, you know, sort of person that this guy was in real life. And it was a huge hit. Like, people bought this book like crazy. So mm-hmm. you couple that with... um Pierrot, or what was his real name? Uh, Debreau. Debreau, who killed a kid. <laughs> with his cane. With his cane. In the street. And goes on trial. And so you have this very sort of dark uh, seed planted. And then, like you said, years later, all of a sudden, 
It's not meant for baldy adults that, you know, getting drunk watching Shakespeare. It's let's take these guys and put them around our kids. Yeah, exactly. So you have a recipe for, at the very least, clowns to be confusing. And then, all of a sudden, Chuck, out of nowhere, in 1980, the worst-case scenario nightmare (laughs) comes to pass. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that was in all the parents' backs of their heads right like this is a little creepy this is a grown man hanging out with my kids and he's 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 sort of acting out these weird hap, uh, hap, happy happy violent uh things like he's tripping people and squirting them and yeah he looks creepy and now he's and a, now there's a, a killer a, uh, yes he's a, a serial killer yeah as a clown pogo the clown but yeah serial killer of the worst variety and he he was large and in charge because i think pogo the clown was a white-faced clown if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's you look up the pictures of Gacy as a clown. Uh-huh. It's about the creepiest thing really on the is. internet. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, how many kids he killed? Like 33 young boys? Yeah, 35, and he was convicted of 33, I believe. But he didn't help the case of clowns uh, by, like, when he went to prison, he would still paint <laughs> pictures of clowns. And of himself, himself as a as clown. A clown. Yeah. And it was like, he had, a, he had quite a collection of paintings from prison that did not do anything but reinforce the fact that clowns are creepy. Right. And, of course, it was like international news. A, a, a clown found to be a killer and sexual um, predator. Yeah. A serial version of it. Uh, it. It definitely captured the public imagination. From that point on, it was like clowns are now overtly sinister. Yeah, and it, it movies, uh, killer clowns from outer space. Yeah. Or, uh, it. Uh, well, yeah, Stephen King's It. Pennywise the Clown? Yeah, that was one of the legendary scary clowns. Right. That new one on uh, American Horror Story. Twisty? Is, yeah, have you seen that one? But if look scary. at it. So, so John Wayne Gacy is scary in real life. Sure. Pennywise the Clown, pretty scary, but still, you know, uh, masterfully scary. Now you've gotten to uh, Twisty the Clown on American Horror Story, and he's like, he's a, as scary as it comes, but... Think about the amount of violence they're having to imbue in this guy and show graphically. Yeah, sure. Because this frightening clown has become such a trope over time. It's just got to get more uh, intense and right. uh, extreme. Right. Yeah. Like, eventually, just to really get the full thrill, like, theater promoters are going to have to send a clown in to kill half the audience to scare the other half in real life. So what you're saying is it's a, a, a loop an endless loop where clowns are getting worse and worse and worse. I don't know. I think eventually it'll just be so played out that people will be like, oh, a scary clown, seriously? Right, jump the clown You shark. actually use this? And um, eventually what'll happen was, or will, I think, be that clowns can, there'll be a door, an opening, for clowns to regain some of their innocence from that, but to a negotiated degree. Because they'll have gone through that period of being overtly frightening and mm-hmm. associated with something really sinister lurking beneath the surface. Yeah. And maybe we'll expect a little less from clowns. Sure. And then, therefore, they can take their rightful place once more. They're, sounds, ha- they're having to go through this. It sounds to me like you're predicting a clown renaissance. A clown renaissance. A well-maintained and tasteful clown renaissance. Maybe not a golden age or a heyday, but something that's stable. Okay. Indefinitely. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, I think we talked about this on uh, Internet Roundup, is the French teenagers that were dressing up as clowns yeah. and causing mayhem and They're not helping people. anything. None of that helps. No. And then there's other cases I've seen where, where was it? I don't think it was England, where there was just this creepy 
clown just just sit there hanging around. I think it was in Canada. Was it Canada? It might have been in both actually. None of these things are helping legit clowns. I'm sure they're all like, "Thanks, guys." Yeah. For just dressing up and being creepy on a bench. <laughs> just sitting there. At midnight. There. Yeah, at midnight. <laughs> But when you think about it, there's it could just be a clown that got off work. I mean, why is that so creepy? I don't think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to give a shout out to a Smithsonian article that we uh, used in part for this. It's called the the history and psychology of clowns being scary. Yeah, it was good. Which uh, it's a pretty clunky title, but it was a very good, comprehensive, exhaustive article on that. So go check that out. Agreed. Uh, you got anything else right now? No. If you want to know more about clowns, type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And we should do one on just how circuses in general work someday. Have we not done that? No, we haven't. We've done circusy things. We've done like flame eating. Daredevils. Juggling. Sword swallowing. Like uh, human cannonballs. Yeah. All that jam. But no, no. What's left? Circuses, how circus works. Yeah, but I mean, what's left that's not those things? We can, we can, <laughs> we'll find it. Okay. Uh I think I said search bar, didn't I? I think so. Well, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, um, oh, saving a marriage. Okay. Hey, guys. My wife, I uh, want to give you credit for making two young lovebirds fall deeper in love. My wife, Lindsay, and I have been married for almost a year. Uh, April 25th is our anniversary, so. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, this is probably pretty close to that. Yeah. Um. We are a perfect match in almost every aspect of our relationship except for one major area, what to listen to on the radio, on road trips. Uh, she can't stand listening to my awesome rock music, and I can't barely tolerate her country. He's like, Def Leppard rules, what's your problem? <laughs> this is the, the Donnie and Marie. Actually, they were brother and sister, so that's gross. But you know <laughs> yeah. What I mean. yeah. She's a little bit country. He's a little bit rock and roll. Gotcha. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the car, though, and we always end up taking turns uh, with one person singing along with their favorite hits, the other one sulking until it's their turn to control the dial. There are even times when we would just drive in silence instead of compromising. I think I know where this is going. One day, we stumbled upon stuff you should know and our lives were changed forever. Turns out we both love the podcast and the driving portion of our road trips now has gone from a frustrating compromise to an amazing bonding experience. And it's all your fault. That's awesome. Uh, we've even spent a few evenings listening to the podcast instead of watching TV at home. What? That's crazy. We're interfering with TV yeah. viewing? Turn the podcast off and We're go turn your television off. We're going to be on. branded communists. Uh, we started from the most recent and are working our way backwards. Um, so prepare for them to get less good. Yeah. Good luck. We have about 400 episodes to go until we run out. Uh, we've been discussing how we're going to deal with the inevitable SYSK withdrawal once we reach episode one. I uh, hope you guys keep coming up with new ideas for the next 50 to 60 years because I don't want to have to go back spending half of my time listening to country music. 50 to 60 years, we can swing that. And that is Ben Brown and uh, Lindsey Brown, or Lindsey, his wife. don't know if she took his name or not. Ben and Lindsey. Ben and Lindsey. We'll call him that. From uh, Guntersville, Alabama. I'm sure they're the only Ben and Lindsey there. Yeah. So Ben and Lindsey from Guntersville. Happy anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah. We're glad we could uh, make life a little easier for you. Yeah. Go turn your TV back on. Yeah, for real. Come on. Seriously. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to tell us how we are enhancing your life, we love to hear that kind of stuff. You can tweet it to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, Stuff You Should Know. Dot com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.